Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So at this point, it looks as though Israel's Savior is going to become extinct before Israel becomes extinct. But Joseph's survival, in other words, it's at stake right now. Israel's survival will be at stake soon. And so God's going to save the Jewish people from death, from this coming famine here, and God's going to save the Jewish people through Joseph, who's now at risk of death. And what's remarkable is to see how God is going to save Joseph from death. I mean, God's going to use a series of events to save Joseph, who's going to save the Jewish people. And the series of events go like this. Number one, Pharaoh throws into prison two of his officers, perhaps for some insignificant reasons. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Number two, Joseph is put in charge of these two officers. Number three, both these officers had alarming dreams in one night. Number four, both of these officers discuss their dreams with each other. Number five, Both of these officers went into a terrible anxiety over their dreams. And number six, Joseph observes this terrible anxiety, and he asks them why they are this way, and they tell him. Number seven, he offers, Joseph offers to interpret their dreams, and they accept. And then number eight, Joseph interprets the dreams. That's a series of events. That's a series of, that's an amazing series of eight events that God's going to use to bring about the deliverance and the salvation of the Jewish people from death by famine. And those are the eight events that God is using to keep the Jewish people from becoming a monument of white bones bleached in the desert of Canaan. So it shows us just how much God wants to save Israel from annihilation. And God has a thousand ways available for him to save the Jewish people. But these are the eight the eight events that he chose. And what's so amazing to us is when we look at these eight events is that all this happened in Egypt. In Egypt, what is Egypt? Egypt is a land, is a country that is devoted to idolatry. Egypt is a country that has purposed to free itself from the rule of the true God, from the control of the true God. Our country today has put prayer out of the schools, has put prayer out of courts, has clung to sexual perversion. And therefore, our country is, in some ways, just like Egypt, trying to free itself, trying to emancipate itself from the rule of the true God. Now, in this chapter, as we're looking at this, these events here, and also in the book of Exodus, 
is that Egypt cannot free itself from the rule and the control of the true God. No country can free itself from the rule of the true God. And when any person or when any country tries to free themselves from the control and the rule of God, God has two responses. His first response is a question, and his second response is a laughter. In Psalm 2, verse 1, Psalm 2, verse 1, he asks the question, why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, that's like purpose, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Countries today, the world today, they exercise what's called the wisdom of this world. And in their wisdom of this world, they feel that they finally have freed themselves from what Marx called religion as the opiate of the people. And so they have, there is a scientific wisdom of this world. And it's concluded that the earth is not several thousand years old, as the Bible says, but the earth is now billions of years old. That's an indisputable conclusion with them. And that all things in the world, they came about, they just evolved on their own. Just evolved on their own. And God wasn't involved at all. That's the wisdom of this world. That's the scientific wisdom of this world. And it took a while, but finally through the Charles Darwins and the Richard Dawkins of the world, They finally generated this wisdom of this world, this scientific wisdom of this world has finally freed itself from the bondage of God as the creator. That's what's behind all this. And God says about this wisdom of the world in 1 Corinthians 1.20, God made foolish the wisdom of the world. And in 2 Corinthians 1.21, seeing that in the wisdom of God, The world, through its wisdom, knew not God. It was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of preaching, he might say, same them that believe. And in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Now, these prisoners now make a very important confession, very important confession, when they said in verse 8, they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter of it. Literally, in the Hebrew, the word Ain is used, and so it goes, we have dreamed dreams, and to interpret, ain. Interpret, there's no one. There's not one. There's no one. And this is such a sad statement when we read this. They were probably thinking of uh, the dream interpreters in Egypt. He says, you know, there's none of them that are making rounds down here in the prison, so we're a real problem. And those were just deceivers that misled the people into idolatry. But when we read this statement, we have dreamed a dream, there's no interpreter. That's very sad. And that make us think about how different it really is for us. How different it really is for us. Because we have this promise, we have the statements in John 7, 38. In John 7, 38, it says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then it goes on in John 16, 
13, John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, here we've got two prisoners in prison here, and they didn't have what we have, the Holy Spirit. And what we see them saying is there's no interpreter. But we see from John 16, 13, very important word. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. And he is a person. And we have him. He's been given to us. Those prisoners didn't have him, the person of the Holy Spirit. And the he, the Holy Spirit, is so important to us as he's called the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. Albeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come. We need truth. We need truth, not lies. We especially need truth because the days in which we live in, the Lord Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 3, Matthew 24, 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming at the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you, no man trick you, no man man mislead you with lies. See, the last days we live in are gonna be days of lies, days of deception when truth is needed. Our only hope of not being deceived is the spirit of truth. And when we're told that he, the spirit of truth, will bring us into all truth, that he will guide you into all truth, the Greek word guide, hodigeos, it's a very important word. It's used by Philip when he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch who was struggling. This eunuch was struggling to try to understand, and he's struggling so much. It's Isaiah 53 he's, he's struggling over. He's reading out loud. Maybe he's thinking, if I read it out loud, maybe I'll understand it. So in Acts 8, verse 30, in Acts 8, verse 30, we read, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? That's our word. Should guide me, same word. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as the sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, he openeth not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, and his life is taken of the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So here's this poor Ethiopian eunuch. He's thinking as he's reading Isaiah 53 out loud, he's not able to understand it. He knows there's something very, very important for him there in Isaiah 53, but he didn't know what it was. And so Philip comes along and he asks him if he understood. And the eunuch says, how can I understand except man guide me? Except some man guide me. He said that very important. Then we see Philip lovingly, tenderly, gently, patiently guides this man to see the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. 
That's what this word hodegeo means, guide. So what we really see here is gentleness and tenderness in this guiding. It's really a leading. It's a leading. And you see it so clearly when the same word is used in uh, Revelation 7.17. Revelation 7.17 says, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them. That's the same word. Hodigeos. It shall lead them unto the living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's gentleness. That's tenderness. So the Holy Spirit not only guides us into truth with his gentleness, with his tenderness, with his patience, but he guides us into truth gradually. Gradually. Which means he doesn't overload us with the truth. I mean, the Lord Jesus said, you know, I got so much to say to you, I'm afraid I'll overload you. In John 16, 12, John 16, 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them now. So there's many things we don't understand about the Bible. Many, many things we don't understand about the Bible. And also, God has many, many things to show us, and he's going to show us as time goes on. Because the spirit of truth is going to guide us into truth, and it means that he's going to guide us gradually to reveal the truth to us. He's the spirit of truth. He guides us into all truth. We know what truth is. What's truth? John 14, 6, the Lord Jesus told us when Jesus saith unto him in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. He's saying, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So from that, we realize the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his person is truth. So when the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, it means he's going to guide us into all the factors, all the parts, all the character, all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his person. He's going to guide us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we couple this concept together of guidance here, it means that in the course of our lives, the Holy Spirit is going to gently, going to patiently, going to tenderly bring us along to grow our capacity to grasp the person of the Lord Jesus Christ more firmly. He's going to bring us along so that we understand the person of the Lord Jesus Christ better. He's gonna bring us along so that we love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ more completely. Now, this growing, this gradual growing more and more in the understanding and loving and obeying of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, I love to think about the first settlers who came to our country, you know, Plymouth Rock there, went and saw it and thought, boy, <laughs> that's what they thought America was, big rock, you know, <laughs> that they landed on. You know, it's very interesting when you think about those first settlers in America who landed at Plymouth Rock there. Because when they arrived, you know, you kind of wonder, what did they think? You know, they arrived and go, well, we just, they write a letter back home. We just arrived on some island continent here, you know. But they really had no idea of the vast beauty that was beyond their little outpost there on the shore in Massachusetts. Plymouth Rocks in Massachusetts. Isn't that right? Yeah, okay, good. I'm going to make sure I got that right. And so they arrived there. They set up this camp right by the shore. They know nothing of the beauty of the Great Lakes of America. They have never seen the Rocky Mountains the snow-capped Rocky Mountains, all the majesty in Colorado and the other states. They've never seen the Grand Canyon. 
the magnificence of the Grand Canyon. They've never seen the, the vast prairie lands of this place. They've never seen the greatness of the Mississippi River and on and on and all the beauties. They know nothing about America. All they know is this little tiny outpost that they have there on Plymouth Rock. But they love what they found so far. They love what they found so far. They're just a little fringe, little population on the edge of a great land with all these forests and the fertile plains and the snow-capped mountains and the horizons of Montana that stretch forever and land that no one's ever walked on before. They don't know anything about it. But gradually, as they move on, they learn more and more about America that they had landed on. That's the picture of what it means when it says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he'll guide us gradually into all truth. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we, were just, we just landed on Plymouth Rock, that's all. We landed on Plymouth Rock, just like those settlers. They had no idea of the vast beauty of the length and the breadth of America, this boundless land. They didn't know. And when we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we had no idea of the vast beauties that are in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we're told about the Holy Spirit that he's going to guide us into all truth, it's like, just keep going, keep going. You're gonna see things you've never seen before. It's gonna get better and better. You'll love this land more than you ever did before. And you'll love the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him, that go on with him. Now, the Holy Spirit, we are told in the next verse, it says in John 16, John 16, 14, he shall not speak of himself. Sorry, John 16, 13. He shall not speak of himself. He shall not speak of himself. He will not speak of himself because that's the mark of Satan. Satan speaks of himself. Satan causes people to speak about themselves. And the Lord Jesus Christ said the same thing about himself in John 12, 49. John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say, that I should speak. So the Holy Spirit does not speak of himself because the Holy Spirit is gonna speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it says in the next verse in John 16, 14, John 16, 14, he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So there's three words that describe what the Holy Spirit does in John 16, 13, John 16, 13, verse 13. When it says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself. And here are the three words, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he'll show you things to come. Those three words that the Holy Spirit does, hear, speak, show, those three words describe our calling in life because the first word is hear. We are to hear the word of God, hear the word of God. Now, the word that's used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shema, shema, it means more than just understand, just you know, under, just be aware of. And the Lord Jesus described the meaning of Shema in Luke eleven twenty eight. Luke eleven twenty eight. In Luke eleven twenty eight, the Lord said, but he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. That's Shema. Hear the word of God and keep it. It doesn't mean they were just aware of what the Bible says. It means that that they embedded in this word Shema is this concept of response. It's a concept of response. Maybe it's sort of like the old English word hearken, you know, to do something about it. And that's what he was saying, hear and keep. 
And so the first thing we need to do is to take quality, quiet time in our daily lives to sit with the word of God, read the word of God, sit still, read it, and let God speak to us, and then obey what we hear. That's why the daily quiet time is so valuable, with its set time and place to meet with God. Now, the next word is speak. What we learn from God is not designed for us to just keep to ourselves, but we are to speak it. We are to help others by telling others. That was in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Matthew 28, where he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. See, in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, when he was speaking to Peter, he said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you as wheat, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The Lord teaches us so that we can teach others. But the third word is really important when it says show, and this is really along the lines of guide again, It's not just tell them and leave them. You know, this is showing that embedded in this concept of explaining, and maybe we see this here in the analogy here with the two prisoners. You know, these two prisoners, when God was speaking to them, he spoke to them from their everyday lives so that they could understand. To the butler, his dream was about making wine, which he did in a normal everyday life. To the baker, his dream was about baked goods, which he was involved in every day. When the Lord Jesus Christ taught people He taught them from examples of fishing and farming and house life so that they would understand. Reminds me of when my wife taught home school for 14 years with our three boys. And I remember how, you know, she would teach them and then then there would come this moment of truth, you know, when she would look in their eyes and say, do you understand? (laughs) And like only a mother can do, you know. And that's what the priests did in Israel, in Nehemiah's day, in Nehemiah 8.8, Nehemiah 8.8. So they read in the book of the law. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Those are all different things. They read distinctly. This is what it says. They gave the sense. This is what it means and caused them to understand. You know, that's looking in their eyes. Do you understand? Okay, let's go back over it again. Let me try to explain it from a different angle. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.12, 2 Corinthians 3.12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. See, So when it says show, it means that we speak what we've heard and we look for the do you understand confirmation and then that's what we do. Now, that's our calling. And our calling goes along the line of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it says in the next verse in in John 16, 14, he shall glorify me. He shall glorify me. Our final goal is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ in the end is glorifying God. It's glorifying God. Okay, now, I think we'll stop here for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Joseph. We thank you, Lord, and for your word And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear the word of God every day, to obey it, and make us all to be teachers and showers to others of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.